This is The Red Center, a podcast about The Handmaid's Tale. I'm Laura June. I'm Rose Eveleth. On today's show, we'll be talking about the eighth episode of The Handmaid's Tale, Jezebel's, which came out this week. So if you haven't seen that yet, consider this your spoiler warning. So we always do a spoiler warning, but also I just want to do a trigger warning at the top of this episode because we do talk about suicide in this, along with all of the other horrible, extremely fucked up things that happen in this TV show. Let's start with what happened on the show. Um, Not a lot, but it all centers around this one specific scene, which I have sort of been alluding to and we've been sort of alluding to for a while, saying like, there's this thing that happens in the book. (laughs) And this is the thing that happens in the book. They go to Jezebel. So this whole episode centers around the commander taking June out to this place called Jezebel's, which is basically like kind of like a Playboy Mansion situation, sort of. There's, like, all of these women there who are dressed up in various costumes and sort of raunchy clothes, and the commanders can go there, and they can kind of have sex with them or talk to them or do whatever they want. Um, So you see him getting her ready, getting her dressed. You know, she gets to wear this fancy dress. Um, And then you see in Jezebel's that Moira is there, and they have a little bit of a reunion. They get a little bit of a debrief on what happened to Moira after she tried to leave. Once the last time we saw her on the show, she gets on that train and she leaves. We find out that she gets caught. And then she basically is offered a choice. Do you want to be sent to the colonies or do you want to go to Jezebel's? She picks Jezebel's. Um, so really this whole episode centers around this particular thing happening. Um, we get a little bit of backstory on Nick and a little bit of sort of exposition on the world and sort of who people are. We find out a little bit more about the fact that Nick is an eye and he's there to watch Waterford. Um, And, I mean, that's pretty much what we get. We get this sort of, like, moment at the end where Serena Joy gives her a music box, um, which we can talk about. Um, But basically, this whole episode centers around them going to Jezebel's um, and seeing all these people and sort of her seeing this glimpse at this other world that she's never been allowed to see. And I thought it was a really effective episode. I thought that, like, there are these long stretches of time in the episode where nothing is really happening, but you're, like, really tense. Um, And I thought that it kind of, like, did that thing pretty well in this thing that they've been doing throughout the show where there's, like, stuff sort of is happening, sort of, but you're mostly sort of looking at people's faces and trying to figure out what's going on. And they also brought back (laughs) in this episode um, the voiceover, which I thought I like a lot and I think is very effective. A lot of this episode comes from the book down to the actual sort of like words that she says in the voiceover and some of the dialogue. So this is a very, we sort of, you know, Luke's episode, we totally departed from the book. We were in completely uncharted territory. This episode, we're kind of back to, with some variation, the book's plot. And that's pretty much what happens. We learn that Nick is like the classic boring man who was hurt once and can never connect with anyone ever and like rejects any intimacy, which I thought was like extremely annoying and boring. Um, And that's like pretty much what we get this episode. Is that, he's, like a, he's like a movie, he's like a James Dean character in a movie, right? Yeah. He's very like smoldering. He's like always smoldering in a corner. <laughs> like doesn't speak. Of, yeah. Like you just have to try to figure out what he's thinking based on his eyebrows. <laughs> but, but he's like, so this is the thing, like he's not even really like, cause at first I was like, okay, have you ever seen the movie Jupiter Ascending? No. Okay, it's a horrible but amazing movie. It's so, so bad. But there are all of these moments where, like, Eddie Redmayne is, like, trying to act with his face, but he just looks like he's, like, constipated or something. Yeah. Um, because he's trying so hard. He's, like, moving every muscle in his face, like, very intensely. Uh, Nick does the exact opposite, where he's literally just deadpan, dead face, and we're supposed to, like, read into it somehow, I think. There's, like, yeah. nothing going on in his face. I think... I sympathize with him because I believe that my face does the same thing. Like, I feel like I'm often, like, trying to, like, convey something that, you know, I'm, like, 
I but really you're not hope, a professional I, actor. Well, I really hope I really hope someone takes out the trash. <laughs> and like I'm not <laughs> conveying that look and then no one takes it out and then I'm angry. Um no, but I think, you know, one of the things that I think is really well done in this episode is uh, Fred sucks really bad. Oh my God, he's so bad. No, I hate to bring, like, I, I actually got an email from someone who last week about our, about the fact that we sort of blame Luke for, for leaving um, and going to Canada. And they're like, you know, it's not everything is about, like, is, is about gender. Um, <laughs> I disagree. Me, and and I, I actually, I I'm actually, sorry, this is the handmaid's tale. I, are you aware true. of the show that you're watching? It's true. Um, but, but I think that one of the things that they've done really well in the episode is when his wife returns, she returns, she's sort of, they sort of dispense with her for the night. They're like, oh, she's at her mother's, um, so that they can go out and, and be out really late and sort of spend the night in this like brothel. Um, you know, and in the morning, the sun's coming up, they're coming home, they get home just in the nick of time. And then Serena Joy comes home. She sort of walks through the door, I think, as the sun is coming up. And before the scene where she gives uh, June the the music box, which is the end of the episode, she runs into Fred in the hallway. And they have this like sort of moment where I don't know if you notice this, but every time they show him in the episode, he looks like the Joker. He's like really terrifying. And, um, you know, he's just I think he's a sort of stand in for the menace of – not just Gilead, because I, I think actually what they're showing us is um a couple of the, a couple of things like sort of presented itself. I mean, first of all, the men, you know, it, it's sort of like they they use um what's the song that they use? Go ask Alice in in the yeah. song. And and I think one of the interesting things about that is it's sort of like it is like a Wizard of Oz moment, right? She's like, oh, not only is the world not what I – this happened to us last week, right? Like we saw the other side. We saw where Luke is. But it's happening to her now too. She's sort of forced across this threshold and now she can see that there is a whole other part of the world. It's not just like, oh, what she's wearing and, and you know, alcohol and contraband and whatever. It's just that men haven't changed. Even despite this new world, they've they've formed this world in whatever shape they want and they still are – they still want to, like, go to a whorehouse, right? <laughs> Which I think is really – we all knew – no one's surprised by this. We all knew it might end – that it was probably going here, right? One thing I think that the episode does really well is it sort of shifts your focus. You know, we're continually – being presented with like having to shift our focus in the show and going to, to like orient ourselves and also figure out like, you know, who's in charge and what's going on. And I feel like Waterford has been presented as this very powerful, um, very in control man. And like, we're not sure what his motivation is for developing this relationship with June. Um, but now I think it's obvious it's, he is, literally like a man he's like as generic of a man as possible like i know that you said that about nick but i actually think that waterford is like you know the scene in the in the in the hotel room where he's like talking about work and she's like rolling her (laughs) eyes and she's like she says something i have no idea what she says and he's like wow you really do understand me and it's like like, literally that's anyone who's the boss right (laughs) right yeah, she's like, "Oh, you're so powerful," and then he's like, "Wow, you really get me." Um, <laughs> and it's like a very hilarious, but also I think really effective moment because it's 
you know, what they're showing us is like he has very – his needs are like extremely uh, basic and pretty much anyone, even a crying – raped concubine can fulfill them. He wants her he wants to feel like she is his girlfriend or she's his lover, but actually, you know, it's he's stolen her from her real life and we we're all aware of this now. It's been sort of beaten into us. But what I think we see in this um in this brothel is that nothing has really changed about the way that men think about women and the way that they tr- want to treat them, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I sort of took a slightly different... I, like, read him slightly differently. I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying, which is that, Oh, no, like, do you like him now? <laughs> no, no, no. I think that he, like, is, like... Yeah, yeah. I'm on Team Fred now. I feel like, you know, he's really redeemed himself, you know? He just wants to talk, man. Like, he just wants someone to understand him. Um, So I feel like they go, like... F- he goes, like, full, like, evil. Like, the way that they are... Yeah, like, he's, he's psycho. Like, showing him... In, in, like, even in the moments where he's, like, he always has his head slightly, like, tipped down. He's got this, like, the way they've lit him in this episode, the way that he's looking at her, the way that he, like, shaves her in this, like, very controlling oh, so and kind disgusting. of, like, menacing yeah. way. And that is so creepy. And, like, even, I think the sound in that scene is really good. You hear the, like, ticking of the hairs coming off. You hear the water. And you just, like, she's at the mercy of this guy who is, like, has this razor. Um... And the way that he just, he always has his head slightly tipped down and the way that they've, the way that they shoot, I don't know, just like everything about the way they've shot him in this episode has really turned him from like, I think in the first couple of episodes you see him as like, not quite bumbling, but just kind of like this guy right. who's like kind of part of this, but maybe he's not like that bad to this episode where you're like, oh, fuck you. Like you are an evil, evil person. Yes. And like that he is really just like, uh, wants to be in control, you know, and wants to be able to kind of like trot her around and every time she does kind of like go off he says like oh I thought I'd lost you and he's like very clearly like he wants to be the puppeteer of her and like own her and control her in a way that is like and the way that we haven't seen in such a specific and like obvious way so far um, because in the past you know we've had those moments where like he touches her leg and he wants like intimacy and we kind of think like okay well like it is weird that you are I mean you're raping this person but it's also weird this whole situation you know, and, like, she even says in a voiceover in one of the earlier episodes, like, oh, he just needs to feel, like, a connection. Right. And now we've gotten this other side of him where it's like, oh, no, you're just a horrible, horrible person. And, like, you are totally complicit in all of this. And, like, I hope you burn in hell. <laughs> like, I just, like, I hate him so much. Um, And I think we also see sort of on the flip side a little bit more of Serena Joy. I think they're setting us up for her to defect a little bit. Yeah. Um, because we're seeing her, I mean, when the, that other handmaid, I think it's their second handmaid, hangs herself. Um, right. That, that's one thing that we get in, in a Nick flashback is that we, yeah. we sort of get this, we don't exactly find out what happened, but we, we do sort of, under, we come to understand that at least um, Serena Joy blames uh, Fred. Right. I think she blames this whole situation. I think it's like, I mean, she right. says to him, like, what what did you think was going to happen? You know, like what? And, and not just like with her specifically with this handmaid. I think it's meant to be like, what did you think was going to happen when you had women do this? Like when you decided right. on this and, you know, you see that scene also. I did think that that sort of suicide flashback scene was extremely effective because they cut to it so quickly and it's really jarring and like very intense. Um, and yeah. And, and you, you definitely didn't expect it. I mean. I definitely didn't expect to get it in this episode. I think that 
Um, yeah. I think that the Nick flashbacks are, are really effective for, for a lot of reasons. And I think that one is that you sort of under, you, you, you come to understand his connection to Waterford and why it's so long, but also you come to understand that he's actually Waterford's enemy, right? Sort of. Sort of. I mean, he was before, right? So, yeah. So, like, he, you, you, we see in this episode one of the flashbacks, and I think part of the reason I like the flashbacks in this episode a little better is because they're a little bit shorter. They're, yeah. Each of them is, like, just a snippet, and I think that's much more effective than these, like, long extended scenes of, like, the past. Yes, um, I agree. But you see him, you know, you see him meet this guy who I think it seems is maybe the head of this whole thing at this point. Yeah. Like, I think he yeah, maybe I, is, like, I agree. in um, He meets him at this, like, work placement place. He's, like, incapable of having a job. He punches him in the face and the guy's like let's go to coffee and then he's like you should join the sons <laughs> yeah. of jacob you should join us which is i was like what is going on here i thought it was like his dad or something like i thought maybe it was like a family relation and that's why he was whatever but it doesn't seem like it um and so basically he so nick has been part of this from before they shoot up the congress and before all of that so he's yeah. sort of like this guy's trusted right-hand man and he's basically assigned to waterford and then eventually given the task sort of upgraded to an eye and given the task of like keeping track of Waterford after right. that. There's second, like the line where the guy after says, that suicide. Yes. There's a line where the guy's like, we're going to clean up Gilead. And it's like, oh, okay. So there's like another level. They're like, even the people who run Gilead are like, Gilead sucks. We got to clean this up. They're not like, be, that's kind of like what the guy was saying to him um, when he recruited him originally. He's like, we can clean right. up the world. And now he's like, we got to clean up Gilead. It's a fucking mess. And it's like, okay. So, and, and I think that, in that net of it's a mess is is Waterford, right? Like, right. There's uh, cor- there are corrupt people in Gilead, and I think that the implication is that I guess the implication is that what that that if the handmaid killed herself, that that water it's Waterford's fault, right? That he couldn't make her, yeah. I think, or it's possible that even just, like, from a logistics perspective, he shouldn't have let her have access to whatever it was that she used right. to kill herself. Right. You know what that, I mean? Like, there could just be that. That makes sense to me, yeah. That makes sense to me because, I, th- you know, I think that um, I have a really hard time imagining, you know, there's that scene in the car where Nick is driving and it's, like, Waterford and, and this guy, the sort of head guy, and then another guy. They're, like, the generals. And they have this long conversation where they sort of come up with the idea of, you know, the handmaids. And it's so clear then that the, like, the veil is, like, completely dropped. They're like, well, who gives a shit what they think, you know? Right. And because Waterford's like, what about the wives? The wives will never put up with it. And he's like, tell them some shit to make them okay with it, right? Like, they don't care. Um, And I think that we've known this the whole time. That has always been (laughs) – it's not like we thought that their religion or uh, their politics was, you know, it really is about the fact that they have literally no respect for women. They don't care about them. They're a means to an end and they will tell them, you know, they're basically like if they could, you know, chop off the top half, half of their bodies, I think that they probably would um, and keep yeah. them alive. In terms of like, you know, they, they don't give a shit about women, but they also like at least this guy, like this main, I think – head guy whose name I can't I don't remember yeah I, um, I can't there is a scene when he takes Nick to coffee and he says like oh he like quotes some bible thing and Nick's like you know that's not in the bible and he's like yeah I know like he knows this is all bullshit like yes. he's not actually 
Like, no. you know, it's like they're like they're totally aware that this is complete bullshit. And like, you know, I did like as I was typing, I was like making my notes and I was like, this is how white men get get radicalized. Like, you know, it's like these people who like see another guy and they're like, hey, yeah, you also like can't get a job and can't get laid. Like, let's all fix this together by like <laughs> right. you know, taking the red pill or whatever it is. Um, and like you, you just see that like they know he knows that he, this is all sh- like completely full of shit. But I do yeah. think that in that conversation when they're talking about. And Waterford's like, well, what about the wives? Waterford says something like, you know, the wives would never support it. Without their support, everything would fall apart. And they sort of brush him off. But I think that actually he's probably right. And I think that, like, that's foreshadowing to be like, the when the wives do decide that, like, fuck this, I think that they actually might have some sort of, like, actual yeah, effect. Yeah, isn't this true? But in that same I conversation, for, yeah, go ahead. I feel like this is true of, of pretty much every historical situation except for possibly the Holocaust, (laughs) which is that, like, you must have complicity from, like, a huge amount of the population that you're going to um, destroy. You know, I feel like with with women, it's like there are so many women and it's such a broad, you know, it's such a broad swath of the population. And and the reality is that, like, that we've talked about this, like, over and over again, which is that June is not locked in this room. She's in a prison of her own making. She could run. And I feel like this is, this is, this sort of comes up again in her conversation with Moira, which is a really anticlimactic um, scene in the book and also in, uh, in the show. And I think that they've used it brilliantly right here because I think that it's a turning point for June. Uh, my, my husband, Josh, made a really great point um, when we were watching it. He said, you know, I feel like because there were a couple of critiques of last week's episode where people said, oh, Luke is, you know, he's this sort of like, he's an uninteresting character, basically were the critiques. And he's like, you know, I think that it's really effective because like Luke and June um, and to a a larger extent, some of the other characters around them, they're not remarkable people. They're regular people, right? And so what, the book shows us is and the show is showing us is is what would happen to most people right she's not going to f- take up arms and fight she's not going to immediately try to run across the border and die she's going to try to survive and luke is going to bumble his way across the border and keep living and in 3 years he's going to find out his wife is alive and i think that waterford is also not a particularly special person. I think he's drunk with power, but I think he's just like a guy trying to get by. Um, And I think that what this scene with Moira really does for me is it, it, they switch places, right? The first time that we, because the episode ends with her scratching a message um, into the closet. And and the first time Mm -hmm. we saw her in the closet was also an episode where they talked about the previous handmaid, the one who died. But the reason that she, you know, is in the closet looking for messages is something that Moira had said to her. And I can't remember what the original message was, but it was like Moira was in the bathroom at the Red Center. fuck Aunt Lydia or something like that. Yeah, it was like (laughs) Aunt Lydia sucks. Yeah and, yeah, and and June was like, it's not worth it, and and Moira basically said, it's it is worth it because the next person who's here will know that she's not alone. And basically, the last thing that Moira says to her in this episode is, "We're alone. It doesn't matter if Luke's alive. It doesn't matter. They don't even the subject of Hannah does not even come up. 
Moira was sort of... Which I thought was weird that she doesn't even it, ask. It is weird. She does not ask. Um, I thought that she would, but I... You know, I think they're doing something sort of stylistic in the in 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 that conversation, which is you're sort of. I don't, you know, I I knew what to expect in a way because I, it's a really sort of poignant um, and awful scene in the book, and they have replicated it very well here. I don't know what it feels like if you have not read the book and you're not prepared for it, but it is, it is anticlimactic is the best way to describe it. It's kind of like oh. Okay, so she gave up, right? She's the person that – she's one of the reasons that June wakes up every day is sort of not knowing what happened to her and she's this like fighter in her mind. And she's so happy to see her that she you know, can't hold back tears and she wants to hear everything. And really there's nothing to tell, right? She's living in a whorehouse. It's – okay. It's not the worst life. Um, but it's not even clear if it's better than where June is. And I feel like they've done that a few times where you're like, oh, maybe it's fucked up, right? You're like, maybe, uh, maybe (laughs) living in Waterford's house is better than this. Um, I do not think so, but you know, but, but it does sort of push that on you where you're like, wait a minute. What are the in the in you know if if all the options are bad, um, what are the what's the best choice here? And I think that she ends up in the closet, sort of scratching. You are not alone, because I think it's the first time we've really had from her that she's going to fight, even if it's just like sort of emotionally, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I thought that was really effective, right? Because that is. That is the thing that Moira says to her when she says, like, it's not worth it. And Moira's like, no, because the next person who comes in here will know they're not alone. And then you have her scratching, you are not alone, into the closet, which I think is, like, a very obvious and, like, nice little play. Um, I was surprised. So I think that, like, going to the scene with Moira and June, I do think that I agree where it's, like, you have these normal people who are, like, not heroes, right? Like, Moira right. is probably the closest we she have to, like, a hero character. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, she talks and about now it in the intro like of this episode. Right, and it's pretty deflating yeah. to see her sort of talking about, like, well, I get all the drugs I want and all the booze I want, and, you know, I got a couple of years here sort of whoring myself and then and before I get, you know, before I die or whatever. Um, it's right. really deflating. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is deflating. And it's deflating in the book, too. I mean, like, it's yeah. not – like, you want it to be – you know, when they see each other, you want it to be this, like, amazing moment where, like – they reunite and they're back together and they're going to like try to stage another breakout or like something like that. And that's just like not what happens because that's not what would happen. Like she can't just run away. You know, and I had a moment actually early in the episode when June sneaks out of Waterford's room where I was like, oh, is she really going to try to like run away right now? Um, and of right. course she isn't because like where would she go? And she's wearing these like ridiculous heels and this like dress. You know, it's like where where would you possibly go? Um and you see also that, like, you know, Moira isn't just, like, hanging out there. Like, there's an aunt in the bathroom, like, who is saying, like, you know, you've been in here already. You can't come back into this bathroom. You know, they, they're in these, like, cot areas. Yeah. Like, they're not, like, just sort of hanging out there free. You know, like, no. they're there. They're regulated. They are, like, doing a thing that is very specific. Um, and so I think that you get this, like, moment where June is like, no, 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 we have to, like, we can't give up. You know, like, we're right. she sort of becomes the person who is is the hopeful one. Um, and at the end, you know, in her narration, she talks about that where she's like, I'm not going to be the girl in the box. I'm not going to, you know, do this. And she kind of rejects Nick, too, in this, like, weird conversation they have at the very end where basically, like, he's all pissed off because she went and did this thing. 
Um, he gets all like jealous and whatever. Um, and then she's just like, what do you want me to do? Like, you can't, she couldn't have said no. And then she kind of says like, you don't tell me anything. I don't even know who you are, blah, blah, blah. And he still won't say anything. And then she's like, her lines are like, you know, at least someone will remember me. At least somebody will care when I'm gone. And that like turns him where he's like, oh, okay, like maybe whatever. And then she turns back and is like, okay, Mr. Guardian Blaine. And she's like, walks out. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, they've planted seeds of her sort of rebellion or her kind of, like, thing throughout. Like, there are those moments where she'll, like, turn her face or there's moments where she'll, like, kind of try to manipulate the commander. But I think that, like, the the whole thing here in that turn with the um, the music box at the end and that that bit of, of narration, I mean, is really setting us up to be like, okay, it's all up to June now because, like, Luke is up in Canada. He, like, has no real way to know how to even get in touch with people. And if he does do anything, he's going to go try to find Hannah June is here. There's no Moira to save her. She's kind of by herself. Nick yeah. has kind of turned his back on her. And I think it'll be really interesting to see. I'm dying to see where we go next because, like, yeah. something and I think is going it's no to happen. Accident I think that got- it ends on that, that it ends on, yeah. on, on Serena. I think, um, you know, I hadn't really thought about it, but the episode opens, I think, it opens with her um, in Nick's loft apartment or whatever it is his yeah. little g- above yeah. the garage Chalet. yeah and um you know she's sort of she's naked she's like wrapped in a sheet and she's sort of i don't know like rifling around through his stuff <laughs> which is like a, yeah. a, a thing that i i always do whenever i it's been a long time since i've been in someone's apartment <laughs> whenever you're that, in someone's- <laughs> but whenever i'm in a man's apartment that's what i do is <laughs> alone i'm like i'm just gonna go through his shit real quick um yeah but you know she's naked. She's her hair is down. Her face is clean, obviously. And it's it's just such a beautiful contrast to. It's like her turf. I feel like there's. I thought of it as you were talking because they do these little things with her where she sort of smiles at him, and it's clear that she, at least in like a sexual or emotional context where they're you know alone together, she is. Um, in control of that relationship, right? She seems more, she seems dominant to me. She's the person who's like flirting with him and walking away from him. And she comes back to the bed and sort of like lays down next to him again. And there's all of these little like visual cues there that she is, you know, she's like sort of like, I guess, I guess dominant is the best way to describe it, but it's, it's, it's played off. So, um, so magnificently in the way that like her, you know, Waterford's like ideal of her is this, like, um, you know, she's got all this makeup on and she's dressed and she's wearing heels and, you know, I, she looks, she doesn't look, she looks wonderful. Of course. Um, she's very beautiful, but it, you know, it's so clear in the, in that situation that she's, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess it is, it is like she, she seems like an unwilling sex worker at that point, right? Like it's like his ideal is so like lame and so it's so contrasted with like what her actual form looks like, her actual, like what she looks like when she actually is like has desire for somebody is so completely different than what you get in the episode, which is like Waterford banging her in a hotel room. Right. Yeah. 
It's funny, there was an interview with um, the actor who plays Luke, and they were, I think this was before the Luke episode, but maybe it was after, and they were asking him about, like, the scene where um, June, you know, basically says, like, I want you to leave your wife, um, and how, like, or something like that. And and the way that he answers, I don't remember the exact quote, but he basically is like, you can just tell in all of their interactions that June is the alpha. Like, June is in charge, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. like, all this stuff, which I think is is interesting because, like, I hadn't really thought about that. And it, and you're set up in the show to kind of not think of her as, like, the alpha or the dominant one because she is in this position right. of such, like, awful subservience and sort of slavery, um, yes. like, sexual servitude to all these people. Um, but in, in some situations— she is powerful, right? And she mm-hmm. has this power. And she's sort of, I think, slowly learning how to use it, right? There's that moment that I always think about with these kinds of things where he, she's sort of like daydreaming about having sex with Nick and the commander is like, oh, am I boring you? Um, and she <laughs> right. like goes to leave and then she like stops and she kind of like rearranges her face and turns back around and is like, I'm so sorry, please let me stay. And she does the whole thing. Right. And so there are these moments where she's kind of realizing that she does have something to bargain with. Um, And that is a big thing in the book. They talk a lot about, like, bargaining in this world and sort of, like, you have to give something to get something and sort of, like, what are people trading? And everyone's always trading something. And I think she's slowly learning what her bargaining chips kind of are in this world um, and how how she's able to manipulate people. Yes. um, Which I really like because I think those are, like, those are the moments in the book, too, where you have this, like, these exchanges where it still feels like, oh, right, you're a human. And, like, you can use your humanity to kind of get certain things. Right. Um, and and I like that, those moments in in this episode and, and in the other episodes, too, because it is very, it just harkens what did you, back what to did the you make of What did you make of, um, what did you make of the conversation that Nick had with the woman in the kitchen where he gives her the drugs? Oh, the contraband stuff? yeah. I mean, obviously so I there's like, something, obviously there's something sexual going on where they've like previously either had sex with each other or made out or whatever. And he sort of rebuffs her because he's like, I'm into June now. Right. Like that, I think is that part of it. I understand. But, um, yeah. Like, what do you think, what do you think they're telling us? Are you, yeah. t- it's so unclear I think to in, me. In that section, they're telling us, A, that Nick has come here many times before, right? right. Like, Nick yes. knows this woman. They trade stuff. He brings her basil that she's asked for. He brings her ketamine and drugs, and he brings her pregnancy tests. He brings, like, all of this stuff. Um, and so, like, I think that's the first thing. Is like, we're supposed to understand that, like, this isn't, it isn't just that Nick has, like, just seen this world and is, like, surprised that this exists. He is right. pissed off because it's June specifically, and that, like, he has connected, he's, like, connected to her. Um I think we're also supposed to understand that, like, again, like, everything's a trade. Like, everybody is trading. And, you know, the fact that he's an I doesn't really change. Like, it's not weird for Waterford to be here. It's not weird for him to come to this thing. It's not weird for, you know, Nick to drive him. Like, all of this is normal. The only thing that's different and the only thing that's making him act weird is that it's June. And I think the whole point of this section was to, like, establish that, like, Nick has become connected to June in a way that he probably doesn't like and that he, like, doesn't really know what to do with or how to handle. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, I, but I do think that they're trying to play with us. And I think, uh, without like spoiling the book too much, I think that one of the, the great things about the book is that it ends before the epilogue, it ends in this really, uh, ambiguous way, right? You're not really sure I'm not right. sure what happens 
at the end. Right. Um, right. I don't and think, I any, think that, any, anyone who claims to know is lying because it's and I very think unclear. That, <laughs> I, I actually think that, that the reason I bring it up is because she end, the episode ends with her, 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 her voiceover um, where she becomes sort of self-aware. She's like, oh, I've been telling this story, so I must be telling it to somebody. And that's like a very That's a line from the book. It's a very beautiful moment in the book because you're like, oh, right. I guess the whole point is that someone's going to read it, right? Someone's going to find your story. And when you talk to yourself or you tell a story, I mean, this is like a very sort of human realization, right? This is the reason that we tell stories is is, is the presumption of an audience. And I think that self-awareness that she's been sort of telling this out to someone and that that means that there's probably someone listening is um is reminiscent of what i think is is it's the ambiguity of of nick as a character because it's unclear to me they've actually done it so well in the tv show it's much more fleshed out than it is um in the book but i don't fucking know <laughs> what he is like if he's good or bad right and like yeah. in the simplest terms i'm like what the fuck is he doing right is he on <laughs> in and there, at the end of the episode it's clear it's like he's trying to end his relationship with june and you're like is it because he's trying to save his own ass is it because he um is worried about her like it's like he says that it's because of you know it's putting them in danger but we know that he is like an informant, right? And so the fact that he's an informant on Waterford, if that's what he's doing, if he's doing his job properly, kind of makes us like him, right? The audience is like, oh, good. It, because Waterford sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, but if Waterford goes down, then so does June. Right, exactly. So this situation's super fucked up, right? And it's unclear, like all of... His job is to talk to his bosses about the the off um, things that Waterford does, and all of those things cover June, right? And so that's like the sort of straightforward narrative of like uh, his conflict, right? His conflict is like he's supposed to be reporting on Fred, on Fred's like <laughs> bad activities, but Fred's bad activities um, include his girlfriend, right? But it's unclear to me like, yeah, it's going to be I I can't wait to see the next episode either because I'm now I'm like how powerful is Nick, right? Like in the in the book it's so unclear. He's so he's basically like a hot guy with a penis. <laughs> you know, he's not yeah. fleshed out at all. And the fact that like when I started watching it last night and I was like, "Oh my god, they're going to give us a Nick backstory?" Yeah, and they I did really that too. I was like, "What? Nick backflash?" They really Flashback. they really don't give us much, but it's enough to make you go, oh, he's been he's been in this for like before Waterford, <laughs> before Fred. He predates Fred. Um, and I think uh it's really compelling and they've kind of made him interesting in a way that I didn't expect. Um Yeah, right. In the book you don't know anything about him. It's like continuously right. like he might be an eye, he might not be an eye, he might be like this, he might be that. Like no there's you never know. And you never find out. Like there's never an answer to that question. Right. Um and and in the show I think they're giving us more. And I but at the same time I don't feel like we still we know more but we still don't. Right? Like right. we know like where his little backstory, we know he comes from 
you know, Michigan. We know that he had this, like, family that he was taking care of, and that's part of why he couldn't hold down a job. You know, we know that he's got, like, some anger issues. You know, we know that he gets roped in at the very beginning to the Sons of Jacob by this guy who seems to now be in charge of everything. So we know that he's, like, been involved in this for a long time and has been complicit in this for a long time, which sort of makes me not like him. No. Right? Because it's like, you know, you were part of this whole thing, right? Like, you have been here and okay with all of this for a very long time. And it kind of goes back to that thing he says to June in the car when she's coming back and she's, like, having that freak out about, like, her kid. She's having those flashbacks of Hannah. And he's kind of like, look, like, there's nothing you can do about this. Like, just keep your head down and, like, just do whatever. Like, nobody survives this. And it does sort of, in some ways, feel like he's doing that. That he's just like, this is the thing that he's found. It's the first job he's had since, you know, whatever. He's, like, doesn't really know what else to do. And so he's just doing this. And then, like, potentially June is sort of, like, waking him up to, like, caring about something and being like, oh, maybe this is not okay. Maybe this is not good. Um, or maybe he's just there to spy on Waterford and, like, this is inconvenient for him because now he's, like, involved in June, but he doesn't really care. My question about Nick has always been, and continues in the show, is, like, does he sleep with all of the handmaids? Like, did the last handmaid also, did they also have a relationship? And you can't really tell from that moment where he, like, pulls her down off the ceiling. Um, Right. But, like, like, I would really like to know. And, like, so when she, when she picks up that thing, when she's going through his stuff, he says a name. And it's not June. Yeah, I noticed that too. And I thought like, what is, what, I I didn't go back actually. I didn't either. It was like, but it was like a woman's name that was not June. And so I was like, okay, so is that the last handmaid or is that his like former wife or girlfriend? Like maybe like a Luke character to him? Like who is that person? Right. You know, I think they give us like all this information about him, but we still have no idea like how to think about him. Um, and he does also like, he does those moments where he's just literally standing there staring at her and you're like, okay, (laughs) like, what are you, like, what is going on? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where we go from here because I, I want some answers and I want to know about Hannah. Uh, yeah, I think it's coming because, um. We say that every episode. (laughs) We do. You know, I think, I think, I think it's coming because I, I do think that, um, information in, in the book about her daughter sort of is one of the. Uh, it's like sort of the thing that leads to the end of the book, basically. Um, you know, she, how do I say this without spoiling it? Um, you know, I think, well, obviously we're getting to the end of the season. So I, I, yeah. I don't think, I don't think they're going to leave us hanging into next season for it. I think that it will be one of the last things that happens is that she's going to find out she's alive. It was a huge reveal to her, um, it was not particularly surprising to us to find out that Luke was alive. I think it will not be particularly surprising to us to find out that her daughter is alive. But I think it is both of those things were will be surprising to June, <laughs> right? Like I don't know because she said save Hannah, so I think she assumes that she's still alive. Right. I think she assumes she's alive because um, it would be completely bonkers for a society which has no children to kill a child. Um, right. And. Uh, you know, I, I mean, my guess is that you always err on the side of when, when you think of your own kids, um, you always err on the side of like they're alive, but she, you know, she doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know. I mean, yeah, it's, it's so like, it's such an awful prospect to me. Like what is is her daughter, like five miles away from her, right? Like probably right. The size of her world is so tiny. And I think that one of the things that I felt so acutely in this episode is like, she's going from, um, where is she? Where, where is she living? She's like a suburb. 
Yeah. It's from like a suburb of Boston to Boston proper. Um, they drive for like, you know, two miles or something. And she's like, I haven't been this far in three years. And it's just like, it's such a crazy, you know, they've been breaching this more often in in the last three episodes, really. They've completely breached the 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 confines of her extremely narrow world. And I think every time it's breached, it's like you learn something about the people who live inside of here and like who control things. And I think that you're also learning about like the shape of the world outside and what remains of um, our beautiful nation. And I think that, um, <laughs> you know, for her, every – Every episode in the last three has been like, um, I think she's coming, we're sort of coming to the end of the season where she's going to, she's having this realization that she actually does have some power. And like I said, like, like you said, I think, um, it's going to be really interesting to see to what extent, um, the wives of Gilead have something to do with it because I think, um, the, the complicity is probably the, the, the enabling factor here um, because if like all the women just killed themselves, then the men would just be alone <laughs> right on the planet. Um, if they refuse to, um, to participate or to um, go along with it. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about, you know, what, what, what that would have looked like if they actually hadn't gone along with it. Um, I guess, yeah, I think that Waterford's right in in the beginning of the episode where he talks about it and says basically like it won't work without them. Um, I think he's right. I think that – and I think I think it wouldn't have – it couldn't have happened um, without their wives' right. complicity because I think that the yeah. family – the sort of like traditional family structure is um, nothing if not, you know uh, – uh, attuned to like sort of keeping the patriarchy in intact. And um, I, so I think it's completely necessary for the wives to be there because they couldn't just, yeah. you, you can think of a society where they're like, well, we'll just um, subjugate all of the women, right? They didn't have to have a family. Like Waterford didn't have to have a wife. He could have just had, you know, they they could have, you know, just subjugated all of the women and killed the wives off or whatever. Um, I mean, you could argue that they have subjugated all the women, right? Just in, to varying oh, degrees. Have. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would argue that for sure. I would argue that complicity is, is, is everyone's doing what they can to survive the women in, in these stories, right? Like Serena Joy is in this position she's in. What were what what were her alternatives, right? What would um, well, she came up with this whole thing. I think that like even just to the point did. of like her proposing like fertility as a national resource, right? We know that she devised and came up with this whole thing, and now it's sort of being used against her in a way that perhaps she couldn't, and she says she never expected. So I think that like you know even just from a logistical level, like this can't exist without the complicity of these women and it right. can't also exist because they came up with it i mean a woman came up with it and, and in the in the epilogue and in a lot of interviews since margaret atwood has talked about how you know a key part of this world and the key part of dystopias and a key part of these regimes is turning marginalized groups against each other and having them oppress one another and i think that like you know that's very believable and you see that here and you also see it in the united states but like white women right like right. you know it's like yeah. very much a thing that is like li- 
real. And I think at the same time, you know, this society, we've talked about this before, Gilead is under such stress and it's so bad for everybody except for maybe like Waterford and his sort of crew that it's unsustainable. Right. Um, and I'm I still, go. I'm still, yeah, I'm still, I just want to say one thing. I'm still, um, he, he mentioned something, how they converted something to solar. And I'm like, come on, dude, yeah. give me a fucking break already. <laughs> I'm so tired of hearing about this. So I love how also she's like, Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> you know, she's like, right. She's so, you know, like, I mean, so all fake. of her responses in this episode to him are like, uh, they're exactly the responses I can imagine, like a like a bored wife giving to her husband. And he's like, he's like, you know, it's like what's interesting about it is like presumably, um, if she would part were part of like a um a resistance, she would want him to like get drunk in a hotel room and tell her all of these like you know, whatever he's, like, bitching about his his job. But, like, in the context that they show it to us, he's, like, getting drunk and bitching about his job, and she's, like, eye roll, eye roll, eye roll. She's, like, oh, God. Because he's just, you know, it's just, like, he's complaining about some bureaucracy that no one cares about. And, you know, he's, like, I don't know. He, I, I totally agree with you that he's, like, joker level of evil, but he also is, like, so epically boring and like (laughs) so like stereotypically like whatever you know just so like making himself more important than he is and you know making sort of like epic I don't know trials out of his like mundane office job that I'm like (laughs) I'm like with June completely with the eye rolls so what's what's your prediction also like who would she tell Right. She's not connected to a resistance. Right. She's not, like, you know, Emily never got her connected to those people. Even if she got that information, like, what would she do with it? I think that, like, I hope that she does kind of start, like, digging and trying to get him to tell her stuff and so she can feed it to somebody. But at this point, you know, she's not connected to any kind of movement to use that information. Right. So what do you think is going to happen next week? Hannah? Um, Hannah. <laughs> I keep saying Hannah. I keep saying Hannah. And, like... I do think, you know, they're not going to, like, end the season and just give us nothing about her, right? And we only have right. two episodes left. So yeah. it's got to be one of these two. Um, I hope we see a little bit more of Moira, actually, because I was, you know, I always want to see Moira. I love her as a character. I also love the actress. Um, I think yeah. she's really great. And so, like, that we got, like, little tastes of her, and they were all really depressing in this episode. So I'm actually kind of hoping we get a little bit more of her. And then I'm just really interested to see what June does, because I think we're— you know, we've gotten all these little sort of breadcrumbs of her resisting, and I think that, like, eventually they're going to have to give us that payoff. I'm mm-hmm. really curious where they end this season, because there's an end point in the book, even though it's ambiguous. Yes. And I'm curious if, like, they stay true to that or they change it. And I don't actually feel like I will be upset if they don't stay true to it, but I'm just curious what they do. I, I think they're not going to. I think it's not going to happen that way. Um, but I do think – I, I think part of it is going to happen. Um, and I don't want to say it um, – the book has a, a ambiguous and a non-ambiguous ending. There are two really important right. things that happen, and um, one of them is like extremely perfect, and it's the way that it would have to end, basically. But I and I so I I, I do think that um, I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to say it because I I just don't want to like yeah. ruin it. Don't but say it. but I but yeah. but one thing I have thought about a lot, and I thought about it particularly last night whenever I realized we were getting a Nick backstory. Is I hate to say this. Fred backstory. <laughs> no. What if we said, you're just trolling me at this point? No. <laughs> Flashback episode 55 I minutes will of turn Fred. off the show. <laughs> I will turn it off. I will cancel this podcast. He does not. 
We will not be back next week if this happens. <laughs> if there's no episode next week, it's because there was a Fred backstory episode because I, I just do not care. <laughs> I do not want it. I don't want it because I think I think it's been really good that they haven't given us one. I think I was really surprised that they gave us Nick. Um, Serena Joy, I, it made sense to me. Um, I think that they're giving us um, a lot of information about the other people now, and I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think that a logical place for them to go next is Fred. <laughs> but I hope that I'll they be don't. So because mad you're right. I hope they don't because I think that he's really good as like a disembodied head. Um, you know, I think he's really good with no, with no backstory. Um, they also gave us some of his backstory, right? With Serena Joy. Yeah. I mean, we, we know he was, he's been human for, for his whole life. Um, <laughs> he's always had a beard. That's what we know. Yeah. But he's, um, you know, he's a caricature and I think to humanize him, uh, I would I would understand their motivation for doing so, but I would not recommend it. So if anyone who makes The Handmaid's Tale is listening, please cancel <laughs> next week if that's what's going on. <laughs> or just tell us. Just, like, give us a heads up. <laughs> so um, that's okay. my prediction for next week. Fred backstory. Great. That's episode eight of The Handmaid's Tale. Thanks for listening. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or find more ways to subscribe at theoutline.com slash podcasts. We'll be back in a week and every week for new episodes. I'm Laura June. I'm Rose Eveleth. Under his eye. Under his eye. <laughs> <laughs>